Welcome to the ScreenVox Technology and Business Rundown Podcast. Join your hosts, myself, Dave, along with Kenlin, David, and Botan on a thoughtful exploration between the intersection of technology and business. Each month, we will be looking deeper into the latest technologies to help you understand which technologies are gaining traction and analyze and examine the different ways those technologies are being applied in affecting business. We will be featuring guests to illuminate how technologies have impacted their lives and their businesses and be able to share their unique experiences. Now, let's start this month's rundown. Can you hear me now? question. So, what is an astronaut's favorite place on the computer? Anybody know? I'm not sure. What? Oh, God. No. I don't dare to guess. The space no. bar. <laughs> Yay. Uh... <laughs> Come on, that's bad. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty bad one. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I, I guess uh, we can start a little bit. Uh, I, our topic for today uh, at least uh, the main topic for today uh, is going to be uh, the silicon shortage and how this silicon shortage affects a business, technology, uh, and uh, all types of things in our, our pandemic uh, or post-pandemic life uh, that will be coming up. Um, but we definitely have a silicon shortage uh, you know, probably the most obvious news uh, of the, the week has been that uh, several of the automakers are uh, shutting down some of the production lines uh, because they're not able to get a lot of the chips they need uh, for a lot of the stuff they've integrated into the cars. Um, anybody want to talk about what they know about uh, what's going on or uh, any thoughts on that? Silicon shortage has affected me dearly personally I, and i think it affected me in the same way that many people have been affected by this and it's it's extremely painful so basically the entire world is unable to get new gpus so while i'm really sad that uh, volkswagen and mercedes cannot uh, make their new cars with their new hardware i'm a bit uh, <laughs> a bit more sad about not having access to any new PC components. Like I hear the rumors, I hear the legends that apparently NVIDIA came out with a new set of graphics cards, but uh, I have yet to see one uh, in person. So <laughs> I don't know about you. Yeah, I was, I was in that uh, industry for a long time. Uh, I did 15 years in the gaming industry and, and helped put together uh, graphics cards with uh, XFX and... Uh, Abid and uh, other computer companies. Uh, the idea that you can't buy graphics cards because they don't have enough of them, uh, that's really kind of a first. Uh, never heard that in the industry before. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the newest graphic card, you know, they're selling it to everybody who has a PC and is a PC gamer um, because they need to get the, the frame per second up. Um, but yeah, that could be a really interesting uh, effect on the gaming industry. 
Yeah. Actually, one thing that was really interesting about I learned um, recently was that um, the reason for that shortage is partially driven by the cryptocurrency and Bitcoin mining because they need um, like the faster processors they can have, like the more the more Bitcoin they can get. So um, they've actually started to build in like slowing down uh, the game, the cards, so that people from the cryptocurrency aren't buying up these car these gaming cards. So um, the cryptocurrency market fluctuates, right? So when the prices go down, there's not as many people mining. And then when the prices go up, everyone said buys graphics cards to mine because the graphics cards uh, actually produce a slightly better result uh, when you stack them uh, and, and do the mining using the GPUs as the processing part. And they have software that basically runs on the, the server or the PC. So they'll, they actually have motherboards with like eight graphics card slots on them. Uh, and they stack eight graphics card slots on the PC. And they're basically processing Bitcoin with all the graphics cards, not, not actually the CPU. Um, but yeah, and I know that Bitcoin and all those uh, had dramatic uh, increases in the last uh, four to five mm -hmm. months. So uh, probably there's a bunch of miners out there who you know, are buying 20, 30 graphic cards at a time. Uh, mm -hmm. Or hundreds of graphic cards at a time, if they're a, a, a mining off office with you know a uh, hundred miners in it. As a miner myself, I cannot get a single GPU, so <laughs> it's been impossible for yeah. everybody. I looked at the mining business like uh, two years ago and just said the electricity wasn't worth it. Um, yep, but you know, uh, maybe that's now different with the prices. But you know, I mean, I hear that in China, electricity is free. For GPU mining, for some reason. Well, actually, a whole industry built why, on uh, uh, mining. I mean, uh, there are warehouses uh, where they are doing uh, uh, crypto mining, and I think that's why you, as a single person, uh, can profit from it. Well, well, that that's definitely one industry that's going to be affected. So, gaming and Bitcoin mining uh, from the silicon shortage. Um, my understanding is that a lot of the silicon that's shorted is the older silicon uh, using older technologies because that's what a lot of the Bluetooth chips are made from uh, and a lot of the more common products. And those are really impacted and those foundries are really struggling to produce those kind of lower end chips. Um, but it obviously affects the high end stuff too. Um, but that, that, that's one of the, the things that we've noticed. And the other is obviously shipping. Uh, you know, uh, they're pumping out all these chips. They got to ship them to various manufacturers uh, who assemble them on the boards. Uh, but a lot of that's happening in China. So the factories, the foundries in China are shipping to other factories in China who then put the chips on the boards. Uh, so, you know, if the manufacturing is done outside of China, uh, then there's the delay of all the shipping issues and all the shipping ports are kind of backed up. Uh, so that compounds the problem. But the automakers are really the ones in trouble because, you know, they're they're putting those chips in locally uh, where they're manufacturing the cars. Um, they're doing the, the PCB assembly, you know, in the States or in Europe. Uh, and those chips have to ship by boat. Uh, and so that's creating a problem too, you know. Yeah, that's a... Whole can of worms. I think 
with with the COVID um, uh, crisis that, that we've had, um, I guess automakers had actually scaled back their their orders from the foundries, um, anticipating that people weren't just going to buy cars. But then what happened is that the uh, consumer electronics blew up and then took their place in line. Like they, the car auto automakers gave up their spot. The foundries reconfigured their their manufacturing, and then now that they're coming back, there's there's no production lines for them anymore because now they're tooled for the consumer electronics, not for cars. So now they're just up a creek. Oh yeah. Yeah. I well, I think everybody that, that affected everybody. I know in the bike industry and the health and fitness industry, last April they were all predicting doom and gloom. And so they canceled a lot of orders for Fitbit watches, Garmin watches, all those kind of things that are used for fitness and cycling. And so all the, but the, the cycling boom and the end, you know, the personal fitness, mm -hmm. that's a big boom. Mm -hmm. That industry is like really grown in the last year because everybody's trapped in their houses. And so all those products that again, use these kind of more common chips and, and, uh, lower grade technologies than the latest GPU or uh, latest CPUs, uh, they're all struggling. So uh, auto, health and fitness, medical, all those now want those chips. So uh, they can't build the factories fa uh, fast enough, right? And even though it's happening, most of it, most of that stuff's done in China now, uh, you know, the, the companies that make the equipment that the factories use for making the chips, some of them are Chinese and some of them are European and some of them are American. And so the equipment is kind of the lead time on building a factory, putting up the walls and putting on the roof and getting the, the physical building ready. China can do that in a month, uh, but to order all the machinery and to have these people, you know, some of the lead times on these machinery is six months or a year. So ramping up production takes a long time. It, it's mm -hmm. not like you just say, I want machines and they have them on stock and they ship them and it's done. Um, and some of these machines, when you ship them, you can only ship them by boat and a large boat. Uh, and so it just takes a long time. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I read in one article that they're saying it's going to take uh, 12 to 18 months uh, to ramp up uh, production to meet the current demand. And they don't know what the demand will be like in another 18 months when they get the factory built and the machinery mm -hmm. in it. It could be that they needed twice as much machinery uh, because the demand went up even more. Or it could be they have less demand because people don't need the products anymore. So there's a real hesitation on how do they ramp up and how much do they invest in the ramp. Uh, it, it's really a complicated business and, and logistics problem as well. Yeah, cause also they started out running behind because they'd shut down a lot of the production because of COVID. So then when they finally came back in, because after they'd figure out how to manufacture safely, then they're already running behind and then they had this boom in demand. And what do the impacted companies expect right now? Uh, I mean, I've read that uh, Intel and NVIDIA don't expect things to get better in the next two to three years mm, what about what about any other companies well you know that it, it, it's a 
it's kind of a stacking issue. So in the computer industry, uh, you know, a lot of the motherboard manufacturers, Asus, Gigabyte, uh, ASRock, uh, those guys, they don't need the CPUs to build product, right? Because that's what the consumer buys, but they, a lot of them now have onboard graphics. So they, they do need GPUs, but even if they made the motherboards, uh, the consumers could buy the motherboards, but they can't buy the chips that go in them. That, that doesn't allow them to complete the computer, right? So they're, they're sensing that they're going to have an impact on their, per, you know, their sales indirectly because they're, they're a built-in, right? Uh, same with it. You can buy motherboards, but you can't buy GPUs, right? And all those companies, Gigabyte, Asus, and uh, ASRock, which are the big three, uh, they all make their own GPUs. They're basically an AMD or an NVIDIA GPU, and they're buying the chips from those people and, and assembling the, the cards. But they can't get the, the GPUs, so they can't assemble the cards. So, you know, the PC gamer, which is the biggest buyer of PCs, but also business, are going to have a, a real hard time getting new computer components and new parts, right? All right. And I also heard the rumor that... Uh... Intel is taking a pretty radical step of uh, building a completely new foundry on U.S. soil and uh, expect it to be finished in five years or something like that. Yeah. So that's that's a first. So production moving out of China into the U.S. <laughs> that's new. Well, I, I think a lot of companies, you know, really felt the impact of the pandemic and the realization that they, you know, they had set up their supply chains to be just in time and to have uh, long channels, right? Uh, uh, outsourcing a lot of materials to China, which is across the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean, and not having anything as a backup in the local market, right? And the local market in the United States is one of the largest markets in the world. And we moved all of our production to China. And then during the pandemic, they're really starting to feel the effects of that. And so I think you're going to find that some more production will be moving back, not just into the United States, but I think Europe will also be expanding that because they found that, yes, there's a cost benefit to have the long supply chain, the long lines. But if there's a change or a fluctuation, it could really damage business. So I think you will see some business, not all of it, but maybe 10% move out of China and back into local markets uh, to make it so that the next time this happens. And from what everyone's saying, there will be a next time, right? There will be a different mm -hmm. pandemic and a different virus. Uh, and whether it happens in 10 years or 30 years, the probability seems high that something's going to happen. So I think a lot of businesses and manufacturers are looking at uh, keeping more of the, uh, uh, production split so that they have a backup in the local markets, right? Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, uh, until then, we're all suffering with shortages. Um, and some products, it's not a big deal. And other products, it is. Um, yeah. You know, it's really interesting in, in uh, I was reading about Garmin uh, and the health industry. Um, their issue is, is that they weren't, you know, they're actually manufacturing about 20% more. They're selling about 20% more than they did 
uh, in the past two years. Uh, and so they're importing all this stuff and selling it, but the demand is 40% more, right? And so they're missing out on that extra 20% growth of business because they just can't get enough product, right? Mm -hmm. You go into a running store or a cycling store and it's really hard to find any Garmin stuff, uh, particularly newer Garmin stuff or Fitbit, uh, they're selling out of it, right? So, uh, that's a big, uh, issue. Um, and obviously in the PC market, uh, you know, that that's holding back a lot of, uh, uh, game sales and other things. Um, and, and that's a very big market that, that had the same problem. Everybody got trapped indoors. So they started playing games more. Um, fortunately, I don't have that time anymore to play games. <laughs> Uh, even though I was in the esport industry <laughs> for a long time, but uh, Botan, uh, what game are you playing? Uh, you mean right now? Yeah, I just uh, started Outriders. Okay, it uh, seems like it's the first uh, legitimate spiritual successor to Mass Effect, which, as a series, uh -huh. died with Andromeda. So, <laughs> in the last eight years, we haven't really had any significant entries. I mean, we had significant entries, but they were. I think in the eyes of many, huge disappointments. I mean, Mass Effect 3 in particular was uh, was just uh, amazing with that ending. I mean, you played through uh, three of the first games, like one, two, three. All throughout the games, you get told that every single one of your choices matters. Everything affects the world, the characters in that world, and the story. And then at the end, you get three distinct endings. And the only thing that changes is the color. So you get the green ending, the blue ending, and the red ending. So <laughs> that was absolutely amazing. <laughs> but yeah, because I wanted to circle back on what you mentioned about like business, and um, and I think it was you were talking about how some companies are having a hard time meeting demand. Because you brought up Apple, and I think that one's a really fascinating one, just because now like they they actually can't make their promises or make their keep their competitive advantage like it's actually well they're going to always be competitive but there's some things that like new features and stuff they cannot release because of the silicon shortage i think that's like for example like the mini leds like things are going to get delayed or they can't they can't build things in um to meet their roadmap that they were planning on releasing for 2021 um, in the same way they would have without the shortage so I don't know. It's just interesting to see how it is impacting all kinds of industry. Um, I think Apple got themselves into a really uh, interesting position. Uh, they exclusive, they mostly exclusively build with Foxconn, uh, which is one of the largest uh, contract manufacturers in China. Um, and they don't have a lot of flexibility. And, you know, Apple probably has the money to start up production in, in the United States or in Europe uh, and maybe build that stuff. But again, five, 10 years, they might be able to do it by getting everything together and getting those factories running and learning how to do it. But in the short term, they're just going to be short product. And, and it's it probably will delay product releases, which affects like mm -hmm. all these developers who want to, you know, get an edge by learning the newest OS or uh, uh, technology that Apple's going to introduce, uh, that's going to get kicked down the road a little bit, a year, two years, three year delay. 
so it will affect like developers learning new technologies or learning how to apply the new features in software or in phones or in uh, whatever Apple releases. Um, so it will have an effect somehow on the, the development industry as well. And about Apple. I mean, I don't know if you watched the new events, which was, uh, I think, Spring Loaded, maybe. And they managed to announce a product that has been in the works for many, many years. And everyone was anticipating it since at least 2019. And that's the AirTags, which, interestingly, includes a uh, completely new technology. Like, I mean, not new in the sense it's a breakthrough, but it's uh, it's yet another amazing uh, merger between software and hardware where you have uh, a 3D guide to find your lost keys. I mean, how many times have you misplaced your keys oh, or cool. your wallet? <laughs> and finally, it seems like we have a decent solution. <laughs> how could it take 2,000, more than 2,000 years to get here? Like many, many thousands of years. Cool. Yeah, actually, AirTags uh, look look pretty great. Uh, and if it's, uh, I mean, you can only search for uh, them by by directions if it's close to you. But if it's not close to you, if you lost it somewhere on the road or somewhere on the street, uh, it can actually talk with other Apple devices via Bluetooth and uh, NFC and you get the exact location of uh, your AirTag like uh, like using any other Apple devices. Also, it has the coolest feature. Like It's not Apple exclusive. That's the first time Apple made something that's not Apple exclusive. So you can just, uh, if you find a tag, you can uh, use your NFC reader on your Android phone and it will, if it's in lost mode, it will display a phone number where Anyone can reach you, find your lost stuff. I mean, that's great. That's I'm not exactly cool. suited for Eastern Europe, but <laughs> it's great nevertheless. Yeah, actually, it's easier to scan an AirTag with an Android phone because you can uh, just use NFC and uh, put it to the phone. And if you want to scan it with, uh, with an Apple device, you have to open the Find My application, then go to some menu and uh, scan it and scan it that way. Oh, but they added an amazing feature uh, about that. So when you slip an AirTag into someone's pocket, it will detect that your phone is no longer close to the AirTag and it appears to be following a different iPhone, assuming the guy you want to track has an iPhone, and it will warn that person you are trying to track with the AirTag that, hey, someone seems to be trying to track you with this uh, device. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah, so if you have an Android, anyone can track you with an AirTag? <laughs> you say this? I guess so. I mean, <laughs> we live in a world of endless opportunity. <laughs> yeah, it might be endless opportunity, but uh, we will see how that market goes. But I can imagine uh, if you have uh, uh, five kids and they're all running around, uh, you put air tags on them, you'll at least be able to figure out which ones aren't yeah. there. I, I think uh, Apple only said that you do, you please don't use it to track your kids because uh, they don't want to get sued for lost kids uh, <laughs> whom are tracked yeah. with uh, air tags. 
Yeah. <laughs> nice. Also, the range is not so hot. It's like uh, 40 feet, 30 feet, something like that. So that's what, like a yeah. couple of meters? I I've already ordered one for that's my dog. Much. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, hopefully the chip shortage won't affect that too much. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't know on the air tags. Uh, is it uh, what are they? It, it's probably some little radio inside the air tag that's uh, talking to to something, either the Bluetooth or on the GPS. Well, I don't think it's Bluetooth. What was the range again? It's like uh, it's like Bluetooth to be four range, thereabouts. So they're maybe? using okay. this. Uh, maybe they're chip. using a Bluetooth chip or. Something. They're using an in-house chip, the same thing they use in AirPods. Yeah, I think that's. I some, think you can some, use yeah. it. Yeah, it's some kind of a modified Bluetooth chip. I think it uh, it can show you the exact uh, directions from thirty feet or maybe forty. Sixty in the best case. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's stretching it. Like, um, I. For the air tags, uh, what kind of development uh, or business applications uh, do you think uh, will arise for uh, development opportunities uh, for them? I mean, we kind of explained a couple of them that are like finding things, but are there other applications that business could use them for? Uh, you know, yeah, maybe material tracking yeah. or something like that. Yeah, probably like su supply chains or. Um, maybe even, I wonder if medical devices could use them somehow, um, because they have such a, um, specific tracking for each device. I wonder if that could be useful there. Um, I know that, uh, RDF tags are used in, in a lot of industry. I don't know. I, I, I assume they're different than what Apple's doing. Uh, Apple may use mm -hmm. something different. Um, I think those tags are more a tag where you scan them, uh, mm -hmm. but they also involve tracking somehow. Uh, I don't know if they're the same thing. Oh, well, as far as I know, RFID is usually a passive thing, whereas the air tag is an active uh, sort of thing. So even though it doesn't have mm -hmm. GPS, it can uh, communicate its uh, ID and try to find other devices in range. So they have this. Uh, sort of net where if you put it in lost mo lost mode and someone walks by it, it can update uh, the location via GPS from the phone. So with RFID, you couldn't uh, really do that. I mean, it, technically it would be possible, mm -hmm. but it would be very difficult to carry a device that constantly reads RFID codes off of everything. Like then, at that point, you're basically walking around with yeah. a... Uh, with a uh, credit card skimmer so, <laughs> so maybe we go on to, to the next topic uh, we we're talking <laughs> about Apple AirTags but uh, we can segue into our next topic which is uh, uh, about facial recognition um, and uh, we can kind of have a conversation about uh, life in facial recognition land uh, because even with things like AirTags and other things uh, security is going to start becoming more and more of an issue as you get more devices that allow people to access mm -hmm. technology. Uh, I think it's even going to come up in the automobile industry. Uh, 
uh, that uh, the only way you could use the electronics in the car and even, you know, with electric cars, you don't need keys and other things. Uh, facial recognition may come into play there, right? Yeah, that is a good segue. I'm, I was thinking with the, um, the air tags, uh, there's probably like potentially some privacy concerns there that like how much can they extend the use of it and like beyond what it already does without infringing on um, privacy in some form. But then that, that's what we're talking about with facial recognition, like there's a lot of ethical considerations there. It's like, how, how do you confine that to the specific purpose that it's intended for and not for something else? It's also a question of ethics. Like, is it ethical mm -hmm. to put up uh, facial recognition towers all around town? Yeah, I guess Amazon Home, um, they have these these cameras, I guess, in the front, like security cameras, but apparently they can store the recording. So there's somebody, there's, I was listening to a newscast that was saying that this person had, um, was able to be tracked like just up and down the street because all, so many people have these Amazon cameras or security cameras. It's like how, how much security is now um, infringing on, on just privacy. Well, we gave up privacy a long time ago in favor of uh, better, more personalized advertisements. That's happened decades ago. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think the most amazing story about this one is uh, in a book written by a researcher who was uh, doing uh, some auditing and uh, research and development for targets. And the target system back more than a decade ago was so refined that they could predict that uh, certain life events are happening and then uh, send uh, coupons or discounts for whatever is required for that life event. So it was like a huge controversy that uh, a father found out that uh, his teenage daughter was pregnant because Target kept sending them coupons for uh, diapers and baby formula. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, so, yeah, that, that could be a, an effect. Previous ship has sailed such a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, to... data privacy and how to access your data, I think, is going to become a bigger issue. Um, I think as more people's personal data gets leaked on the internet and other places, uh, there's going to need to be a, a revolution in a sense in, in data security. You know, uh, Europe has GDPR and now California has their version of it. I think that's going to become more and more important. And I, I, I believe that facial recognition is going to really be a key, but there are, you know, it's not a proven technology. It, it has errors and people can uh, uh, manipulate it and use it. Uh, and I think that those solutions have to be solved. And I think that's a great opportunity uh, for uh, developers uh, to work with it. But there's a hardware aspect of it as well. Um, but uh, I, I think there's a great opportunity for that. But you know, at what point does it become a privacy issue? You know, 
police and government doing facial recognition and then you know tying you to some some event or something but then if there is an error rate of 10 percent then 10 percent of the population might get in trouble uh without any recourse uh so that's something that's going to have to really be refined and resolved for facial recognition uh to work you know but on the other hand there's great opportunity uh and there's a great benefit to securing your data uh, without having to go through a lot except to just uh, take an image of your face. Um, but uh, they have to figure out how do they make it so it can't be forged and hacked, right? Because if it's recognizing somebody through uh, an image, uh, that image can be transferred, manipulated, and other things. Uh, so I think facial recognition has to address those questions. Plus, in some countries, it might be really sensitive and they might not allow it. And in other countries, they don't care, right? So there's going to be a lot of other stuff that, that is mixed with it. And there's also a question of uh, what can we combine with AI? So uh, especially the European legislation doesn't specifically say that facial recognition is going to be illegal. It, uh, it is proposed to make... Uh, Use of, to make the use of AI software to aid in facial recognition should be illegal. Since when you introduce AI, you introduce an error rate that is huge. I mean, depending on the data sets that, uh, that uh, you feed mm -hmm. a developing AI, it can uh, come out with some pretty interesting results. <laughs> I think you can find a great picture when uh, they fed the data set to an AI with uh, pictures of chihuahuas, faces of chihuahuas, and cookies. And at the end, it couldn't tell the difference <laughs> until many, many training cycles. Yeah, it, it's, you know, facial recognition, the advantage of facial recognition is everyone's face is unique. Uh, the, 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 the problem with facial recognition is people's faces change over time. And, and so there's got to be a way to, you know, th that's going to be a big challenge to the industry. Um, so probably the applications for facial recognition in the beginning are going to be more simplified and orientated around access. Um, but uh, uh, even that's still going to, they're going to have to solve the question about how do they make sure that that access is given to the right person and that somebody isn't hacking into something, right? Because you've all seen those movies like with the eye scanners where they, you know, uh, kill the guard and take his eyeball out and stick it in front of the scanner, yeah. right? Well, I mean, with facial recognition, uh, they may be able to do the same thing. Uh, so, or something similar, same concept, right? So we're, we're going to have to figure that one out, right? It's an interesting question with biometrics. So this has been a debate for as long as I can remember. Like, how do you tell if uh, the person you're trying to authorize for entry is alive or not? So in the case of fingerprint sensors, this is usually done by measuring uh, heat and, uh, and pulse, like these two things. And uh, I think with the eyes... I'm not sure how it's done. Maybe it's a pupillary response, but I'm not entirely sure. The uh, facial recognition, it should uh, be relatively simple. I mean, uh, 
the solution that we've seen hit the market is uh, just eye tracking. So if you are actually looking at the device, then it's uh, able to be unlocked or authorized. Well, we will see where this future goes. All right. Well, that was fun. Well, thank you very much for taking this journey with us. Join us for our next exciting exploration of technology and business on the first week of every month and for our next podcast. Please subscribe, like, and follow us on whichever platform you are listening or watching us on. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please let us know any subjects, topics, or anything else you'd like us to discuss in the next podcast on the comment sections or in a Twitter DM. Till next month, please stay happy and healthy.